I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This week on The Tech John, we're joined by special guest Matt Conwell, founder and managing partner of Rare Breed Ventures. He hangs out with us to talk about the run and ultimate failure of Silicon Valley Bank, what actually happened, and how bad it could have been if the government didn't step in. We talk about the ICANN Act, why Mac was called to testify in front of Congress about it, and how modifying the stipulations for what it takes to be a venture capitalist could be good for founders of color. And lastly, we talk about Mac's journey to becoming a VC and why he focuses on businesses outside of Massachusetts, New York, and California. We got all this and more for you in episode 74 of the Tech John. From Columbus, Ohio, I'm your host, Rob Dunwood. Coming out of Philly, it's your girl, Tech Life Steph. And out of Atlanta, this is Terrence Gaines, aka Brother Tech, aka Pollen Season is Among Us. <laughs> I don't know how it is for y'all in these other parts of the country. Terrible. In Georgia, now is when all the yellow shows up on your porch, on your car. All over the place, so much so that my kids, specifically my son, uh, was having some problems, some issues over the weekend. And even today, I had to take him to uh, urgent care because his oh, acute wow. asthma oh, wow. is oh. starting to flare up because of the pollen. So all weekend, he had the big, puffy, itchy eyes. And then oh. late last night, he had the cough because, again, the pollen messes with your all your insides. Oh yeah, that post nasal uh, drip is is yeah, po- yeah. a beast. Yeah, it caused his, you know, his um, not maybe not esophagus, but his lungs, the his uh, passageways to flare up, which is giving him issues this morning at school. So took him to urgent care, and of course we, I mean, we it wasn't nothing super serious. We knew it was um his asthma flaring up as a result of the pollen. So. They prescribed him some um, oral steroids to get the inflammation down and then a little bit stronger asthma pump. He only uses it when necessary. It just mm-hmm. when he needs it, it seems like the worst time. You know, it's like nothing, nothing, nothing. Urgent care. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. So uh, they gave him a little bit stronger stuff for these next couple of weeks. But he, he'd be all right. But like I said, other than that, um was acting, acting up. So after his little appointment, took him to. What all the kids love took him to Mickey D's, and he seemed to be straight after that. <laughs> so you know, took him, took him yeah. to McDonald's instead of urgent care. That <laughs> usually yeah. helps. It's amazing how <laughs> that food will, will will cure almost anything. So y'all, I'm uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. 
because uh, we got a special treat for y'all this week. We have a guest coming on the show. So before I introduce them, let me give a little bit of backstory and just tell you how this all came about. So back at the end of January, I think it was episode 68, we talked about how the venture capital divide is getting worse for black founders and just all the hoops that black founders often have to jump through. And then a week later, we talked about how there's a new $40 million fund for HBCU founders. And although we're very appreciative of that effort, we talked about and just limited it at 40, that 40 million is literally just, it is minuscule when you look at the total amount of venture capital that is just out there. So those couple shows started ending up having some conversations on Twitter about VC funding and about some of the stuff that was coming out and basically cross paths with a gentleman named Mac Conwell. And this brother literally like within the, I think a day or a day after that I started conversing with him on Twitter, he had just been in front of Congress talking about this stuff. So we, we, we essentially uh, were going back and forth, talked about uh, how we were having these conversations on the tech John. And he said that uh, these are the kind of conversations that need to be a part of. And I said, well, you know what? I think I know somebody, you know, I know somebody who might be able to you know, hook you up and get you on the show. So all that being said, Matt Connolly is on the show. So let me go ahead and bring him on. And uh, so welcome, uh, Matt Connolly. Now I got, I got to do the proper. Well, what did I say? I keep saying Connolly. So, I, and I told Mac, I told him this right before the show. So my, my, uh, my cousin's name is Conley and I literally was just talking with him. So I keep saying it. I know that I'm reading Matt Conwell right here in the notes. And Mac, I sent you the notes so you can see that I have actually have it typed here properly <laughs> as well. You have it right. So, so my bad. So yeah, Mac Conwell, but let me go ahead and do the official intro for you. I actually wrote this thing down. So I won't give, we got to go by your government name here. So we can go with McKeever. AKA Mac Conwell the second is the founder and managing partner for Baltimore based rare breed ventures, a pre-seed fund aimed at founders working outside of the most known and most cash rich tech hubs. He attended an HBCU majoring in computer science at Morgan state was a government contractor for multiple companies, including Northrop Grumman and Booz Allen Hamilton is a two-time founder with both a successful and a failed exit. And before starting his own fund spent four years at Tedco, the state of Maryland back investment firm to support their seed stage in investments. So Mac Conwell, welcome to the Tech John. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I am happy to be here. I was telling y'all anything named Tech John, I got to be a part of like, that's, that's my people. That's right. That's right. Yeah. When did you graduate from Morgan? See, now you asking the wrong question. It's well, cause only because my sister graduated from Morgan um, and you, y'all may know each other. Y'all may have, y'all paths may have crossed. Um, I matriculated at Morgan State University, and I was supposed <laughs> to be in the class of 08. So, uh, yeah, class of 08 is when I was supposed to graduate. Well, what is uh, it about HBCUs and black folks and the word matriculate? <laughs> I have not heard that word since I went to an HBCU, and I have not heard any other color of folk mention matriculate and college in the same sentence. What is it with black people, HBCU specifically, and their matriculation, whether graduating or not? I think we've all used that for HBCU alums. Because every HBCU you've been to, that's what the president, that's the words the president <laughs> uses. <laughs> they, they drill that into your head. You are matriculated. They had a meeting of the presidents and provosts. Yeah. So anyway, y'all, um, normally we bring our guests in after we talk a little bit of tech, 
and then you bring them in and do the interview. But it just it just so happened. And I hit I hit Mac with this on Saturday about actually having him come and talk about some of the tech stories with us. So number one, he is a tech head. This is, this is how he started off. So he, he knows the language. He knows how we're we going to get down when we do what we do. But also uh, the first story that I wanted to talk about was uh, Silicon Valley Bank. And for those who do not know, SVB or Silicon Valley Bank, uh, they basically had a run last week and collapsed. The FDIC had to come in and take them over. And with Mac being a venture capitalist, I just thought that he would have a unique perspective in this part of the conversation. I've, I've been, you know, I've been following him on Twitter and just watching some of the knowledge that he's dropping out there. So I wanted to, you just kind of open it up, you know, with this It's like, so you like the, the news is dominating everything. It, it is the second biggest bank failure in American history. So I just wanted to just kind of open up the floor to everybody. What what are your thoughts on this? What are your thoughts on what the FDC, FDIC had to do? And ultimately, anybody who's got more than $250,000, what are your thoughts on what they might do, what they're going to do to get these depositors? Because I don't want to say investors, because most of these folks that's in trouble are not investors. They are, here's my money bank. Can you please hold it for me until I need it type folks? And that is a different situation than what I think a lot of people understand. I think it's, this is just, uh, perspective. I think it's wild <laughs> that banks in general will be like, Hey, give me all your money. <laughs> and then they say, all right, now we got your money. <laughs> We're going to use your money as collateral to do something wild. <laughs> and if it don't work or you need all your money, even though we got your money, don't take it out because. We may not have it, but we told you we got it. We're good for it, but don't take it out because we got this other stuff going on and we use your money to do this other stuff, but we got to let that cook for a minute. So don't do nothing. Relax. And if you all take it out, you may not get none of it back. <laughs> that's just my, I think that's wild. I really think banks need to go back to, I know people is going to hate this. They need to go back to charging folks a fee to use the bank. That way banks can make profits and not have to have the side stuff going on because they got our money in the first place. Now, I know a lot of people can be like, oh, no, I, I ain't giving nobody a bank. I'd rather just keep it under mattress or whatever. I don't know. I don't know the answer, but banks are not a bank just to keep your money. A bank is a business. They're going to take this money and going to figure out how to do something else with it so they can profit and SVB is, in my opinion, the result of what happens when that side stuff don't work the way they thought it was. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Matt. Give me some more insight. I know you probably work on, I'm, I'm sure you work with money. I'm sure you've ran an SVP before, VB. Let me know if I'm, am I tripping? Is that a decent perspective or that's just like layman's terms and it's way more complicated than that? I mean, it is more complicated, but in basic terms, yeah, that's how banks work, right? That, that is how banks work. If everybody who has money in the bank showed up at a bank tomorrow, like, I want my money, this would happen to any bank. And, I mean, the Silicon Valley bank situation is so unique in that it was a bank run facilitated very much so by social media. But also mm-hmm. it's a bank that specialized in working with corporations, not consumers. So, like, the dollar amounts we're talking about are very different. But here's the thing about, like, can we... Like, can we laugh a little bit, right? It's like, like, 
The thing about Silicon Valley Bank is it failed because of a terrible PR strategy. Like literally okay. mm-hmm. the 16th largest bank went down in essentially 12 hours. They tell you 48. It wasn't 48. It was 12. That's when like happened in 12 hours because of bad PR. Like, I don't know who came up with their PR strategy, but like, you can't just fire them at this point. Like, what's worse than getting fired? Like, can they get banned from the industry or something? <laughs> like, yo, what your PR license. <laughs> so, like, so this is what happened. So, first, so uh, Silicon Valley Bank had some treasuries and some bonds that they were holding. They were long-term bonds and treasuries that they were holding because in 2020 and 2021, everybody was flush with cash, and like the amount of deposit they had grew exponentially. So they got to move the money around. You got to get creative. Like this, you don't have as many places to put the money that are safe enough. So you're trying to find the right places. Well, these bonds and treasuries they were using are getting eaten alive by the increase of, of interest rates. Mm-hmm. Like nobody's expecting interest rates to go as high as they are. Like, you know, as a bank, like if you're going to model something, you're going to model at like the most extreme is like a 4% interest mm-hmm. rate. We already passed that. <laughs> like we passed like the doomsday scenario. And so what they were doing was they were selling off some of those, so some of those treasuries and bonds and securities to shore up their balance sheet. But they were selling them at a bit of a loss. Right. So at that a loss, bit of a loss. <laughs> I mean, look, you sold twenty-two billion. Yeah. You had a two billion dollar hole, right? Now, granted, had they just held those treasuries for ten years, for another seven years, they mature, they come to full maturity and they get their money. Right. So like they didn't even have to do this. They were trying to do this. That's what I was like. I, they're 10 year treasuries. Why are you selling, selling them at all? I, I really didn't understand what the what the point of selling them, you know, as as quickly and as as dramatically as they did. Like, what are you doing? You bought them to hold them for 10 years. You knew the market and the interest rate was going to fluctuate in that time. Like what caused them to panic in this instance? Um, instead of doing what it, what they bought the bonds for in the first place. I don't think they were necessarily panicking as much as they were trying to show up their balance sheet because they went from being flush with deposits to, you know, we see what was going on with the economy. A lot less, there's a lot less money moving. So, right? so well, uh, let me. Much money in the bank. So they were just trying to shore things up. But here's, here's the problem, right? Here's, here's the problem. They all, so they, 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 they sold that. They had a loss and then they had a strategy to raise money to cover those losses, right? Here's where they messed up. They put out the PR, the press release saying they sold this and that they're looking to raise the money, which means if we don't raise the money, we got a hole in deposits, right. which is a scary thing. What you should do, because like they had, they didn't have to do this. Like they didn't have to tell anybody anything. What they should have done is sold the securities, did they think raise the money, then did the prayer, the press release of like, hey, we sold this off, we had a loss, but we raised the money, everything's all good. Would have had no problem. Do you, uh, my um, assumption as to why they had to sell the bonds in the first place was I think, uh, I, and I had to look into it, but the not original investors, the, I think it seems like they needed that money. And I assumed that some big heavy hitters within SVB, I don't know if they were original big venture capitalists, big venture capitalists with a lot of money that's like, yo, I don't like what's going on. Let me pull some of this money out. So, SVB is like, 
all right, well, if they pulled their money out and we let them go, we need to get that debt money back. Because if we if we don't get that money back or whatever the case may be, all the little people are going to freak out. So it's like, all right, we need to raise some money. And like you said, the PR strategy was wrong because they. I mean, you, you, you respect them for saying something, but they could not have not said anything and figured that out on the back end. But I think, again, I, 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 I I'm I'm like, all right, so why. Why were. Uh, the venture capital or the, the, the people at the top, we'll just call them for a short people at the top took that money out to where SVB needed to raise that additional. I know. Funds. Um, I, I, in one of the articles I was reading to research this particular, um, situation, I know they, one of the things they talked about, like maybe four or five different things that kind of contributed to this whole thing. But one of the things they talked about was the fact that these startups who have these accounts at SVB, um, it's not just the, the venture capitalists putting the money in there. All these businesses actually have their business accounts that they paying people out of and everything else have not actually adjusted their burn rate, um, to kind of go along with 2023 and not 2019 when money was flowing like water. Everybody out there still spending money like water, but they don't have it like that. And now the bank doesn't have any money because these, these startup founders still you know, want ping pong tables and, and Red Bull and every, you know, on every floor and and they haven't really, you know, tightened their belts like they needed to 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 get with the times. And so, were they taking loans me, out? Let me just correct something here, right? Okay. That's what, that's what we got you here, because we running around here with information from the internet. We need somebody <laughs> on the inside. <laughs> so first of all, what SVB was trying to do by some of those kids security is being prudent and getting ahead of Okay. Whispers right. that were happening, right? I got you. But by trying to get ahead of it, it alerted a bunch of folks who said, Hey, let's talk to the CEO. Mm. And he came out and said, Don't panic. <laughs> the and, worst uh, thing he gets to see it. It, it. it went down from there. Right? The worst yeah, thing he could have seen. Silicon Valley Bank is the 16th largest bank. It is not a start. Like they specialized in working with startups. Mm-hmm. That was not their only customer. Got so you. everybody keeps talking about VCs and startups. Yo, Roku has $500 million locked up. Mm-hmm. USDC has $3.3 billion locked up. I know several nursing homes that had their money locked up. I know several mom and pop shops that had their money locked up. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who had his personal money locked up. They were just a bank. They were a large bank. And right. they specialized in working with corporations. And the name Silicon Valley, everybody thinks, oh, all these California startups. No. Like this is a lot bigger than that. Like they're investors in other banks. They own other banks. Mm-hmm. Right. And when and even when people talk about VCs, all these rich VCs are drunk on their money. Understand what who, who VCs are, what we do. We're glorified money managers. Mm-hmm. We manage other people's money. So when you start talking about big VCs, you're talking about they manage endowments for universities. Mm-hmm. They manage pension funds, money from pension funds from different states. Mm-hmm. Like, understand if a VC fund goes down and they lose all their money, that's not their personal money. That's mm-hmm. your money. Right. right. Yeah. And so one of the things that you actually uh, said, Mac, was that a lot of their customers aren't regular customers that are going to fall under the $250,000 that you get insured by the government for. A lot of these 
are small businesses. And I think in, because most small businesses have four or five, six people in them that we think that that's all small businesses with small businesses literally can be, you know, hundreds of employees with uh, millions of dollars that's coming in. So these companies aren't necessarily making investments. Silicon Valley Bank just happened to be the bank they decided to do banking with. So there's like, hey, every first and the 15th, we expected to be able to come here, pull money that we've deposited into the account, not trying to do anything crazy with it. We just instead of keeping you know, instead of keeping our two, three million dollars for payroll under, uh, you know, you know, under the mattress, we actually put it in a bank so that when we need it, we can just go to the bank and then pull it out. Those kind of companies are being affected. And what, what I've been looking at a, a lot of folks on Twitter and, you know, just on social media in general, you got to let these banks fail. And it's like, I don't think you understand the people who are saying that what will fail. We're talking about an enormous amount of small companies that employ literally millions of people collectively. And when you let that fail, you got folks t- today is the 13th that we're recording this. People will generally start hearing this tomorrow on the 14th, 15th is payday for half of America for half. Um, and a lot of, a, a lot of that half to get paid on the 15th, their companies deal with Silicon Valley Bank. So if Silicon Valley Bank doesn't have, you know, if, if the government doesn't come in and do something, then you literally have potentially millions of folks who, you know, who they, they miss their payroll or companies have to do things like we got to lay everybody off, uh, hopefully temporarily until we can get this issue figured out because we can't pay them. So th- those are the kind of nuggets, Mac, that I've been seeing you drop on on Twitter or the last couple of days. So I, I don't want to take credit for that. Like I came up with it, but I, I think that that is a lot of, of what people just don't understand that this is not big time, you know, billion dollar investors. This is just companies that happen to be above the $250,000 threshold for FDIC insurance that are, you know, the, the, you know, the government is trying to figure out what they're going to do to, to make these companies whole so they can make that 15th payroll. But let's, 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 let's be honest about it. Why are all these companies with SVB? Because it was the only bank willing to bank them. Mm. And especially when you want to talk about black founders, mm. you got to start up. You just getting started. You need a bit you need a business account. You go to a Bank of America, what you gonna get? You go to mm. Wells Fargo, what you gonna get? Mm. You go to Chase, what you gonna get? Silicon Valley Bank was like, you ain't got no money, but you starting something? All right, we're giving you a shot. That's mm. what they did for me for my first company back in 2010. It wasn't nobody caring about black founders back then. I promise. Right. Mm. Right. Right. So understand like Silicon Valley, the failure of Silicon Valley Bank is a detriment to the entire industry because like that's where you could go, especially as a black founder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? And it did seem like in, in everything that I've been hearing and reading, like this bank was unique. Like there was no other bank that could support the tech industry the way that SVB supported the tech industry. So the idea that it may go away entirely right now, I think it's a under government control. I know yeah, in the UK, um, uh, HSBC bought the UK branch of SVB, but I think here in America, it's still, it's under government control and they're going to do some reorg and restructuring, but hopefully it doesn't actually go away. Um, because yeah, it, it would be a, a lifeline that, that gets cut for, for a lot of different companies. Now, is this though on the, on the, uh, part of, kind of the, the folks that made the decision to do the sell down in the first place, um, kind of just capitalism chickens coming home to roost or, or, or did they really have to do it? Was there no other way to get 
what they needed done. Um, or, or the second part of that question, could they have done it a different way without selling off the bonds and holding them for the 10 years? Or was it really just a matter of, um, the way they made the announcement and, mm-hmm. and, and the way they spooked everybody by making the announcement? It was truly the announcement. It was the spooking of people. Like there, there's a lot of different things. There's a lot of things they could have done differently. Chief among them, you change the way they do that announcement and order operations for it. You probably don't have this. And then yes, everybody's mad at the investors for pulling their money out or telling companies to pull their money out. Look, like I said, we manage other people's money. Mm-hmm. And so I can't tell if you, you see a thing and you think like, <laughs> hey, something might be wrong. Right. <laughs> you got it. Like you have to do the prudent thing because you have a fiduciary. Mm-hmm. Because like if you want to be principal, like I'm staying with Silicon Valley Bank, they've been good for me. This is all panic and fear based. I don't care about the mob. Like this is a good bank. Well, if you're the last person holding the bag, you holding and, the bag. And your people come to you and ask you, so what about our money? Like all oh, that money you gave me is locked up. I'm, I'm waiting. Hopefully, I get it. I can't have that conversation with nobody. Right. Right. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Not a conversation. We- so like, what do you do? And like, this is coming from. Some, I like Silicon Valley Bank a lot. They're really important to the industry. But once the mob start moving, I ain't like I can't get in front of the mob and make them stop. I can't be like y'all being stupid, y'all. This is a this is this is ridiculous. Like go Calm back home. Down. We be all right. Yeah, <laughs> right before uh, we came on air, I was actually watching. I think it was on CNBC or something like that, and they were talking to a CEO of a company, and she was basically saying, "Is like you know, this wasn't even on my radar. It was one of my investors sent me." Uh, an email that was kind of crazy. It's like this investor sends emails all the time, but they usually are, you know, are well written and, you know, nothing to make you panic. And it was like, okay, let, let me go ahead and call him right fast because this is something that is different than all the other emails that I've seen. So I call and he says, get all your money out of SVB, you know, out of Silicon Valley Bank, get all your money out as quick as you possibly can. She's like, at that point, I'm not really trying to, well, I'm going to stick one out and tough it out for the team because they've really been good. It's like somebody that I trust is telling me to get all my money before I can get all my money. So I have payroll that I got to make on the 15th. I have suppliers that we have to pay, uh, you know, Friday. We've got all these different things that we have to do with the money that's in that account. I can't chance not taking it out now as compared to taking it out next week when it may not be available for me to take out. So I think if you just extrapolate that across all kind of company owners and CEOs, it's like, Hey, it, it, I don't know what's going on, but something's going on. Let me go, go, go. You know, nobody has ever it's been like fired when you see somebody for, running. You don't, you don't ask questions. You just start running. Some people like, do, yo. but they often get shot. I'm not, I'm not trying yeah, to stick exactly. around for that. I'm not trying <laughs> no, to stick around stick for around. that. So, start running. so, so that was a big part of it. But, uh, you know, Mac, I wanted to, uh, you know, ask, you know, uh, so like I said, the FDIC part is figured out. Uh, that money is already available to people today. They were able to get that money out today, but that's 250 grand or less. What is the government doing? Um, I, I, is it like is it like a conservatorship or receivership? You know, what what are they ultimately doing for the money that you know folks weren't able to actually get out that is above what the insurance actually covers? So, as a receivership, FDIC is already taking over the bank. The bank employees will be working for the government for the next forty five days, um, and they are selling everything's a sale. Everything's for sale. Um, uh, the Federal Reserve put out a press release last night. Stating that, um, they have gotten, a, they, it has gone through the highest channels of the government 
to the point they have gotten presidential approval to do everything they have to to make sure that all all um, all accounts assured and unassured, all the deb- debits assured and unassured are made whole. And they have an extra $25 billion set aside in governmental money to cover any gaps, should there be a gap, right? This is really unique, and that happened really quickly. One, because people got to the government and let them know, like, how big of a deal this was, because, like, mm-hmm. everybody was caught on guard, off guard, right? Like, mm-hmm. nobody saw this coming. Also, the other thing was SVB was a healthy bank. They had a reportedly somewhere in the neighborhood of $209 billion in assets, with $179 billion worth of deposits they need to cover. Right? Like, like in a failing bank, you don't have that. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. They just had, they, uh, the Wall Street Journal had something that said they, they and, um, uh, what's the other, the name of the other bank? First Republic? Or the no, one that, the, the one that got shut down. Yeah. Yeah, it started with an S. I can't, the name is escaping me right now for some reason, but, but they both had gotten ratings from the FDIC, like, like good ratings less than a month ago. Yes. So it was just like, who, who dropped the ball on this? Like, who didn't see what they should have seen? Who missed the, the, the red flag or the, or the baby pink flag? Like, I, it, it, I mean, I, I, I imagine stuff like this happen, can happen. Catastrophically overnight kind of deal, but just panic. I also, think that there were some signs at some point that somebody missed or ignored. There were signs, but like this bank shouldn't have, this shouldn't have happened. This literally failed because of a bank run and panic. Right. If you don't have that, this bank exists for another hundred plus years. Mm-hmm. So. We, Mac and I were actually talking about this in the pre-show, but I just, if this would have happened, and I initially wanted to say, if this would have happened like in the 80s, it would have never happened because the news just doesn't move that fast. But really, this wouldn't have happened in the early 2000s um, because, you know, you figure this really, you know, things started going south Wednesday. They were in trouble Thursday, and then the government had to come and take over on Friday. I mean, it, it was, it was, it was really, like you said, Mac, that 12 hours uh, that, that, you know, that things just really, really went south. And it was so bad that usually what would happen in this instance is that the government would at least wait until the close of business to go and take over. They didn't do that. They actually did this in the middle of the day. It's like 12 or one o'clock, you know, in the afternoon is when they say, no, nah, we can't continue to allow this to happen. We got to come and take this over right now. So, there, there, there's a lot there, but like, as I said, we, we were talking about in the well, pre-shows that this really again. can happen to any bank. If, if, if everybody says, I'm, if everybody says, I'm going to get my money out right now, there's a lot of banks will be in a, in a lot of bad ways if that were to happen. Well, and then let's say, let's, you know, you also have to put the, the, the idea that, um, some of those Dodd Frank era protections got rolled back, um, under the Trump administration that may have, at least raised a, a baby pink flag um, for somebody before this happened. So, you know, like the debt we're this, I think this may be part of that collateral damage, or maybe we'll look back on it as part of the collateral damage of the Trump administration. I mean, he just really came in and just wrecked shop on a lot of stuff that we have no idea about and won't really understand the ramifications of for years to come because, you know, I, I, and I, and I don't necessarily claim to know much about policy. Um, so I'm not trying to, I'm not going to try to get into the weeds of it, but 
there was something in Dodd Frank that 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 was enacted back in 2008 that would have prevented or or helped folks see this coming down the pike. But once Trump kicked that out, uh, SVB sort of loopholed themselves out of that particular, um, you know, requirement. And, and it's just like, man, we, I, I think we're going to start to see a lot more of that, um, across the board and, 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 and other industries and other regulatory efforts and, and different things like that, um, that just are in shambles now because of, because of that administration. We'll see. <laughs> so what are so what are some lessons, if any, that can be learned from something like this? Like I mentioned at the top, do banks have to start charging people money so they can be more liquid when and if their company when they, these um, um, depositors come asking for their money? Is it tighter restrictions like uh, Stephanie mentioned? Is it better press releases? You know, is it, is it, you know, what, what, are, what are some lessons? Like if I am just starting a business and I've got, you know, um, a million dollars I need to put somewhere knowing that, you know, this stuff just happened, knowing that the FDIC can only insure 250,000, but I need to be sensible with this income, with this money so I can keep afloat. What are some lessons or what are some tips that can be taken from this? So this is what we've been telling our founders of Rare Breed. You need to diversify your banking position. You want to have a minimum two banks. We suggest three. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Of those three, you want one of them to be a top tier bank, right? Okay. A, a Bank of America, Chase, or something like that. Wells Fargo's racist. Stay away from them. Um, bank of America ain't too far behind them, but keep going. I mean, but like <laughs> when you still got uh, lawsuits for redlining and like True. you know, right, twenty tens, like. <laughs> We can't bang with you. I'm sorry. They own American greed. Anybody on American greed, leave them alone. Really? Yeah. Really? <laughs> For real? Right. Um, <laughs> you want to keep accounts that are not far away from the FDIC assurance level. And you want to consider putting your money in a sweep account where you're actually insured at a much higher level, typically a million, sometimes higher. But you're not going to get any interest or you won't get very little, if any, interest on the money in that account. But you know you're highly you're you're more assured, mm-hmm. right? And so having at least those three accounts. Now, if you want to keep most of your money in one of those accounts, that's fine. I wouldn't suggest it, but you need to have a way. If you need to move money, you need to have accounts to move. Because that was one of the big things that happened was people heard take your money out of S, out of SVB, and they're like, great, but I don't have another account. Well, right. you know, it takes right. time to open up a business account. That's right. Shout out to all the bankers who didn't go home this weekend. And we're just opening up accounts left and right, trying to help people out. Well, did like, they see people sh- didn't even have accounts to move their money to. So, like, if you knew where SVB branch was, you was going in and getting the cashier's check and working it that way. But, like, you at least want to have the way to move your money if needed. So don't be so single threaded. Yes. Okay. All right. So I'm certain that we will be talking more about Silicon Valley Bank because this is it's huge. It is these... You, when you say the second biggest something that happened in history is like, you know, so this is not Michael Jordan of bank failures, but it is the LeBron James of bank failures. It's like, this is the second biggest one that has ever happened. Some, some would argue it's the Kobe Bryant of failures, but I'm gonna let you cook. (laughs) (laughs) You, you, You know, the point I was making, you know, the point I was making. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So, um, anyway, like so we, we, we have a guest on. And, and Matt, we, we started conversing, as I said, you know, at the beginning of the show in Twitter. And... I can't remember if it was the day you were at Congress or maybe the day after you were at Congress is when we really started uh, talking and, you know, and talked about getting you, you know, on the show. And so I really just wanted to, you know, have a conversation and, and kind of start there. We're going to dig into your background, but why did you appear in front of Congress to talk about the improving capital allocation for newcomers act? And could you kind of tell us what that is? Um, why you were there, why they had you, you know, what you had to say about it and how this act of, I believe it was seven different bills ultimately that could uh, shift the thresholds of which investment firms are considered venture capital firms. Um, why that potentially could be good for black founders. Yeah. So, um, I guess a year and a half, almost two years ago, folks from the center for American entrepreneurship reached out to me. And they basically are a group that does a lot of lobbying on behalf of entrepreneurs and venture capitalists um, on the Hill. And so they would put together these events where they would have us meet with different politicians and their staffs. And it just so happened that um, the leader of the finance committee for Congress, I got to be a part of a group that got to meet his staff and the staff reached out to me and asked for me to testify, uh, which is a wild thing in his own right. Um, and what I was there was in support of um, the the ICANAC, uh, the um, improving uh, the proving of allocations for Newcomers Act, which is an act that basically says so. So venture capital and not even venture capital, just investing is a weird world, right? So the way it works today, the rules are you can raise an unlimited amount of money from up to a hundred investors, right? But that's the it. Once you get to 100 investors, you cannot raise any more money. There is a, a provision that came in under the Trump administration. So, like, you know, <laughs> he didn't do everything terrible. Right. <laughs> where they changed the rule that said you could raise 10 million or less from up to 250 investors. Right. Um, that is actually a rule that helped me a lot when I was raising my fund. 
Well, this new ICANN Act would basically say you can raise up to 150 million from up to 600 investors, right? And now, why does that matter? First of all, a bunch of these rules are from like the 1940s trying to protect us from another Great Depression. A lot of these rules are antiquated. They don't make any sense anymore, but it is what it is, right? When we talk about being able to have these investors in your fund, understand understand how this works, right? So if I'm a VC and I'm raising a $50 million fund, which to be clear is a very small fund, mm-hmm. right? Compared to raising a $50 million fund, you can only have a hundred investors. That includes yourself. So really it's 99. So that means my minimum check for you to make an investment into this asset class now is 500,000. We ain't got it like that. Right. Like who, who you know? <laughs> and so then it limits the type of people and, and organizations you can raise from. Right. Right. So you take me. I st- my first fund, I raised ten million. The majority of that was raised off of Twitter. I have one hundred and ninety four investors in, in, in Rare Breed. Of those, one hundred and sixty two put in fifty k or less. And a lot of those are folks that look like me and folks who had never invested in the in the fund before because they couldn't afford to. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I told so. I told people, hey, you can put in. $25,000 into my fund. And you can split that up over two years. Well, you know, if you're in, in like, again, in order to invest in the fund, into my fund, you had to be an accredited investor. Mm-hmm. That means you have, you've made more than 200000 a year for the last two years, or you have more than a million dollars worth of assets, not including your personal residence. And it goes up if you're, a, if you file as married, I think it goes yes. to $300,000 or something like yes, that. Yes, if you file as married, it's 300000 The 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 dollar amount for your net worth stays about the same. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, even if you meet that, that threshold, that doesn't mean you got 200000 right. sitting around. Because as soon as I put right. the money in, I'm not an credit investor anymore. <laughs> yeah, you can't touch that money for 10 years. Right. right. <laughs> right this is really illiquid. But if I tell you, hey, you put in 25K, well, you, you could be an executive at, at Verizon and be like, I could do that. Right. Right. And so by increasing the number of folks who can get into this, you actually end up increasing the access. Mm-hmm. Right. And, 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 but there's pushback because they would say, well, if you increase that, that's really predatory because people are going to, you know, reach out to folks and give them the story. Of course they are. They're going to give them all the returns. Well, okay. There's risk there, but in general, the, and this is how people evaluate venture funds, right? In general, a mediocre investment of a VC firm is going to outperform the S&P 500 over a 10 year span. Okay. Like that is just a fact, right? So even if you get with somebody who's not, who's, who's, who's actually kind of bad at this, you still got a better chance of doing better than when you do with S&P 500. Wall Street. The other right. thing is, the only other option you have is if you can't invest in a venture fund, then that means you can invest in companies directly yourself. Mm-hmm. But then the chances of that company going to zero is so much higher. At least with a venture firm, even if they do bad, you're going to get something bad. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And, and it diversified. It is completely diversified. And also, let's say you do have the ability to write a 500K check, but you only write one. Well, if there's more people that can invest in a fund, you can now take that 500K, put it 50K into 10 funds. That's just a more prudent strategy for your money. Um, but you know, I was just up there advocating for that because, like, look, I got 162 investors in my fund one that will not be able to invest in my fund two. And if you ask me, that don't feel good, especially right. black folks who are like, yeah, I don't know a whole lot about what you're doing. I respect what you're doing. I, I think you're smart, 
Let, I want to invest with you. I, I want to do good by those folks for the rest of their lives. Right. Mm-hmm. And like the government's they're telling me I can't. Right. Yeah. And, and that's so where are we uh, with with that effort right now? Uh, there's a lot of discussions. There's a lot of meetings. And, um, of course there is. And meetings on meetings. So, everything's so left or right that like <laughs> bipartisanship is really, really hard. And uh, even even though, according to the story, uh, a William T- Timmons is a Republican from South Carolina introduced it in 2021. There's bipartisanship issues. Uh, you would think that it, this this sounds like something a liberal or Democrat would fire up. But the fact that they've got Republicans, according to the story, um, so these bills are only Republican led. They do not have any Democratic support. Any. That's crazy. Uh it was, I will tell you that there were individuals on the opposite side of the aisle who told me that these were predatory and should never happen. And I just looked at them like, so you mean I don't, I don't need to exist. Cool. <laughs> Is that, an, do, right. do you feel like that? Like we, like you mentioned, anybody's going to lick their chops at an opportunity to scam. Do you feel like the Democrats, the people you talk to that, that, that categorize this as predatory? Is that their excuse? Or, or have they? Re- do they really have le- legitimate uh, thoughts or questions about this, or is that just they're out? They're just out because they look at me like, "Well, you're different. Just because you're the good one doesn't mean everybody's going to be good." Yeah, that's that's a, yeah, that's a cop that's a out because I mean, I could see if you if you legitimately felt like this was going to open up some floodgates, but. Number one, you're only increasing the number of investors to 600. You're not opening it to an unlimited amount of people, which which would make a better argument for why we shouldn't do it. Um, 600 people ain't really, you know what I mean, going to turn into a, a made off type of situation, you know, but. Be- behind some behind some venture capital so yeah that that's that's disappointing to hear that that there were no democrats supporting it i do just want to just real quick on a on a sidebar um if you guys have not uh listened to max uh testimony i think it's on youtube there are a bunch of different links you can go to um to check it out i did watch all of it and i just want to you know say thank you for shouting out the sister you mentioned at the beginning shauna step jones um and who works who, who I, I believe she's um doing um your She's creating a tumble dryer that can dry a wig or yeah. hair extension. Right, right. I'm trying to, I'm trying to yeah. get the the name of it. Spundle. Um, Spundle.com. Spundle. Yes, 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 yes. And and so you know, it was just very compelling the idea that that this sister was getting ready to to be a surrogate, and you know, in order to raise money for this thing and and it just struck me because you know there was a time and I, you know this may be TMI and it's probably not it's not tech related at all but but there was a time when I you know wanted to pay some debt off myself and and thought about donating eggs and it's just like are we really at a point in our community where these type of drastic ass measures need to be taken because we're not getting the kind of support we need from, you know, from, from other people in your space that don't look like you. I mean, this is, this is, is absolutely crazy. I will say that Shauna is my North star. She's the reason why I started my venture fund. Like I didn't get into this to have a venture fund, but when there was a woman who I was trying to support and I still couldn't get her help and she calls me and tells me 
she's going to raise money by becoming a surrogate mother. So she gave birth to twins to get that money. Man. So she can start building her prototype. That's crazy. Like, I, I just couldn't sit back. And I told myself I had to start my own thing because I could never be in the position where I saw an amazing founder and somebody else could tell me no. Right. Like, nobody can ever tell me no again. Yeah, Matt, one, one of the things that I that I really appreciated and liked what you said about that was that she was trying to get funding, but the VCs that she was talking to, they didn't really understand the problem. And you 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 hear the problem and it's like, oh, that's that's a brilliant idea. And you will make a lot of money if you can get the money you need to make the money. Um, you know, like, I don't, I don't want to, you know, editorialize too much and put words in your mouth, but, but th- that's what it was. It's like a lot of times, you know, black investors and in bl- invest in black companies because they simply understand what black founders are doing. It, it makes sense for something like, you know, like a wig dryer. Like we all understand why that is immensely important and what, oh, heck, that's a heck of an idea right there. We all it's get that, brilliant. but I a mean, lot I, of folks I, I, just simply I won't. I went to her website and saw the video of it. I was like, that's. I don't even wear bundles, but that is brilliant. I know that that's that's a genius idea. Absolutely. Maybe low down uh, people who are creating the bundles are like, nah, we want you to come back. We need you to re-up. We don't need you to re- to, to recycle your bundles and wash Please. them. No, we need you to re-up. Since they've been re-washing bundles since bundles existed. Like, that is not even a thing. Yeah. Yeah. They gonna, we going to do that regardless. I was trying to come up with a conspiracy theory. <laughs> <laughs> So, Mac, you didn't start off as a VC. I mean, you did some things before. As we said, you were, you know, when, when you were at Morgan State, you were a computer science major. You ended up working for a couple of consultants, you know, big consulting firms. And, uh, you know, you so you, you've got a very background. But one of the things that really stood out to me is that you actually are not just a VC. You yourself were a founder twice. You know, you had one failed uh, venture. You had one successful venture. Why don't you tell us about just how you actually got into the world of I'm going to start a company to make it better for the world? So I always had like an entrepreneurial spirit because like my father was one of those like militant black people who was always trying to teach you something. And so, like, when I was a kid, I'll never forget this. I told my dad I wanted to be a rapper. And he looked at me. He's like, that's cool. But do you know who signs those rappers' checks? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, what you talking about? And he made me go to the library and get some books and learn about record labels. It helped me understand, like, the person who signs the rapper's check makes a lot more money than the rapper. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I've never forgotten that. <laughs> um, but then also, so, like, there's this crazy thing that happened. So I'm at Morgan studying computer science and I get an internship or I get a co-op with the national security. Agency. It's like it's the weirdest thing in the world. Right. So I get top secret clearance, whatever. And I'm part of the student program. So it's like 300 students in that program. 30 of us are black. So, you know, who I'm hanging out with. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And these 30 black individuals become my core group of friends in my early twenties. Now, all of them either went to an HBCU or Ivy League, because that's the only place they know how to get black people from, right? And in that group, there was a gentleman by the name of Patrick Jackson. Um, he's the CTO of a VPN company, uh, Disconnect, out of San Francisco now. And he was obsessed with being the black Mark Zuckerberg, right? Like, like for context, the iPhone comes out in 07. He builds his first iPhone app in 08. Like, as soon as the, the, the store comes open, right? And he was, a, and I should say that, uh, Patrick was a Howard grad. Like he's always pushing Howard orders. Right. But like he wanted to do that. Like I learned how to, how to code in uh, PHP and MySQL because that's what Facebook was built in. And he wouldn't shut up about it. Right. 
Well, he was also the first dude I knew who quit his job and moved to San Francisco because some guys, some guys who used to work at Google gave him some money. Like we didn't even have the language for what that was at the time. Right. But what we recognized was like, oh, he's a builder like me. Like oh, we, we can do that. And so then me and a couple of my friends got together and we would start meeting regularly trying to come up with ideas and eventually decided, you know, to, to start our first company, not even recognizing it was a company. We were trying to build a website that would make money while we slept. Like that was like, mm-hmm. that's the goal. But we didn't realize like, oh no, you're starting a business. There's a whole bunch of other stuff you have to do, not just build it. Um, so that was like the beginning of the journey and like how I got started. Nice. So talk a little bit about um, Twitter kind of as this information and networking engine, because it, it sounds like, you know, a lot of what you were able to do was because you grew your following there and, and could do the outreach and, you know, 1100 meetings in 90 days and all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you was, you was, you was wilding back then, but you was, you was on your grind. I respect the hustle. Definitely. But, but talk about the idea of Twitter as, as kind of this, this networking engine and, and this information engine that, that you were able to leverage to, to do what you needed to do. Twitter was an accident. It's a complete another accident. Like it wasn't a strategy. I was just, so what happened was after George Floyd, I had a couple of thoughts on my head that I had to get out. And so I, I needed an outlet. So Twitter was my outlet. And then after that, I just randomly decided I'm going to tweet every day for two weeks. And most of the stuff I would tweet anyway was always just information to help founders. The problem was I worked for the state of Maryland. So like even when I would reach, when I would tweet and founders would hit me up, it's like, I can't really do anything unless you're here. Right. Right. So I, I, so I wouldn't do that that often because like I would always get inundated. I said, I'm going to treat every day for two weeks to see what happens. So I'm tweeting, I'm tweeting, I'm tweeting. I meet a founder out of Dallas, Texas, who's got a B2B SaaS company, he's making revenue, has all the makings of a good entrepreneur, but can't raise any money. Why? Because he's a Latin guy in Dallas, Texas. All right. I know how to fix this. So I decided I was going to get some folks I knew together and, and introduce them to them and, and get them to make an investment in his company. So real quick, um, for, for those who don't know, what is B2B and what is SAAS? Okay. Uh, B2B is business to business. So it's not being something for client customers. So your customers are other businesses, right? Okay. And SaaS is software as a service. Okay. So it's the idea of using the software as a tool, uh, within your business, right? Not the actual product that people like me, you could just go use. No. Gotcha. Using a piece of software as a service, so so Zoom is a SaaS pro- is a SaaS product, right? Streamyard is a SaaS product, right? okay. And so I, I'm telling this to some of my some of the folks I know, some of my advisors, and one of my advisors are like, "Yo, Matt, you you know I love this company. I don't want to invest in this company. I want to invest in every company you ever find. So here's 250. Go raise that fund you've been talking about." And I'm like, "Yo, COVID." Protesting the streets, world's kind of crazy. I don't know about that. He's like, well, if you want this money, it's what you're going to do. So after about 10 minutes of him just telling me, like, this is what I was going to do, I decided that's what I was going to do. <laughs> but then I look up and I start going through my network and my network got me to about 400,000 in potential commitments and my goal is 10 million. And I recognized really quickly, I didn't have a network of LPs. I didn't have a network of limited partners. Limited mm. partners are the individuals who invest in venture funds. Mm-hmm. These are like very wealthy folks and institutions. And, so I'm like, and those are the people that have to have that $250,000 net, you know, yeah, annual income. And we're trying um, to knock the cap up to 600. Okay. Yep. Yes. So yep. like, I'm like, okay, I don't, 
I don't, I, I clearly don't know enough of these people. I've been spending so much time with my head down trying to become a good investor. I never learned how to raise a fund. But the odd thing was I was still tweeting regularly and like my following was growing, right? Cause like I st- when I started this, I had like 2,500 followers, right? In June of 2020. And, but as I'm doing this, I'm noticing my followers growing and I'm noticing that more and more VCs are following me. So I'm just like, all right, I see these VCs, they follow me. Well, I need to learn how to do this. So I just started seeing, I would check my, I would check my followers every day. And if I saw a new follower who was an investor, I would send them a DM telling them a little bit about myself and asking them if they were willing to take a meeting. Mm-hmm. So soon my calendar started to fill up. And within my first 20 meetings, I meet this amazing woman by the name of Elizabeth Yen. She's a Jeep, she's a general partner or she runs a fund called Hustle Fund. And so in our first 30 minute meeting, she asked me like, so what's the minimum you're going to allow people to invest in your fund? I'm like, well, I can have up to 250. So my, my initial minimum is going to be 10,000. She's like, I can do that. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, I think I can do that. I'm in. So, so, so you time? clearly did not ask for enough money. If she agreed, <laughs> that, that's one lesson I learned. If you, if they agree too quick, you ain't asked for enough. <laughs> and, and then, and my second question, uh, to piggyback along that, uh, is this, does this coincide with the, uh, uh, George Floyd? Cause you mentioned that, you know, does this coincide with, uh, we need to do something because we want to be allies, uh, post George Floyd, you know, summer of, diversity equity and inclusion to where you feel like maybe some of these people were being extra uh extra woke yeah 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 yeah. so i will say for elizabeth no like that's just who she is right okay if you ask me about some of my other lps (laughs) (laughs) i was raising money post george floyd when it was real good to be black person raising money so i'll say that right like i will 100 percent say that but after you know, I had the meeting with Elizabeth, I was like, all right, this is my strategy. The more I tweet, the more means I get, the more means I get, maybe the more money I get. And that's how I have 1,128 meetings in 90 days. The soft circle. The that's nuts, meeting. man. That That is that is hustle squared, cubed even. I mean, that 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 is that is ridiculous. It's called so desperation. You- <laughs> So I'm glad you mentioned the soft circle because I, I was I was uh, reading the, the technically article um, about your journey. And, you know, it talked about the idea that in December of 2020, you had to get strategic to close these soft circle deals because you had all of this, all of these promises. Um, but, you know, uh, promises is like opinions, which is like assholes. Yeah, you know I mean? everybody, everybody got, got one of them. Um, so, but, but it mentioned you had to get strategic to close those deals. What did, what did that mean? What did that entail? So typically when you close, when you raise a fund, you have one big closing where everybody sends their money on one date Mm -hmm. or you have like three or four closings, right? Um, I'm a weirdo. So I'm trying to break every rule there is. So I was doing a close every three weeks. So like, as soon as somebody committed, give me your money. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The problem was. Because I did it so often, there was no like date for people to look out for. Right. And everybody's like looking for a date. And I'm like, all of y'all said, and, and the thing was, sipping your money, that'll be your date. Right. <laughs> when the, when the check clears, <laughs> that's the date. Yes. <laughs> so everybody's like telling me they're going to do it, but nobody was signing the paperwork. And so what I did was it was like, so I'm doing all this. I quit my job at the end of August. 
I'm, I'm doing this in earnest in September. This is August 2020? 2020. Okay. So you got September, October. I got to November, like the week before Thanksgiving, and ain't nobody signed nothing. But I was supposedly already had, like, mm-hmm. at this point, like four or five million in commitments. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, I need to figure this out. And I'm like, okay, I I understand e-commerce. So I'm going to just run this like like e-commerce brand. We're going to do an email. We're going to do an email marketing campaign. Mm-hmm. And so what I did was for the first for the last week of November and the first two weeks of December, every Tuesday and Thursday, I sent out an email telling the story of one of the companies I wanted to invest in. Mm. Okay. And then I, I, I created an arbitrary date for the end of the year. And like every time I would send out one of those stories, I would, I would always get some people be like, yo, that's so dope. I love this company. I'm in. And I get a few trickles of people signing, a few people signing. Got to January 3rd of 2021, and 1.3 million hit the bank account. I was like, all right, it's go time. I'm like, even if I don't raise another dime, this rare breed is here. Right. And okay. it just, I started going in like that. And so like that, that was like, so whenever I got into a law in my, um, in my fundraising strategy, I would do these email marketing campaigns and people always gravitate to one or two of those stories and be like, I, I love that. I want to be a part of that. I'm in. It's like, you know, it's like a whole strategy. Like they're all together. It doesn't matter. If you like that one, I'm with you. <laughs> See, I, I love that you said that because, you know, two things that, that stood out to me in that um, email marketing, which I think people dismiss as being old school and storytelling. And, and that really is what makes or what can make a very, very successful business. And you have to kind of rely on some of those tried and true and not old school tried and true techniques um, that actually work. Um, but you also got to be telling a good story. So I'm, I'm glad you said that because I think our listeners really need to hear that. I needed to hear that because mm. I need to get back to some basics with some email stuff, you know, in, in a little bit. But, uh, but, but yeah, like, like you ain't necessarily got to be out here reinventing the wheel and coming up with these, with these crazy innovations on, on, on how to get, how to get that bag when people have been getting the bag with email marketing for, for decades now. Yeah. So, you know, why not use what works and what's already available um, and easy to do if you know how to tell a good story? So my question is, at this time, you're starting to get money. You're starting to get feedback. You're starting to get positive feedback. Uh, you mentioned that you quit your job. Talk to me about that decision and talk to me about as a husband and a father, what did that look like for you? Was that just, oh, come hell or high water, this is going to work or it ain't? Or did you have to have some conversations with the missus? And how did, how did that look like as far as, you know, raising, saving, you know, what, what was your strategy behind that part? Tell me a little bit about that story. All right, so we getting deep now. Uh, so, <laughs> at that time, me and at that time was my then fiance, okay. who I'd been with for eight years at that point. Don't ask. Life. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it'd be complicated, right? <laughs> she decides right before, right as I'm quitting my job, that we get married now. We got to do this. And I'm like, you do realize, like, timing couldn't be no worse. She's like, well, if we're not going to do it now, when are we ever going to do it? All right, whatever you say. We ain't getting no younger. We might as well be I right. I mean, <laughs> she, 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 wasn't, she wasn't wrong, though. I'm just saying. Eight years <laughs> is a long time. <laughs> okay, I'll let you. It's cool. Right, so <laughs> I'm now at this inflection point where I'm quitting my job and I'm going to raise this money and start this fund, which I'm, like, trying to figure out on the fly. And I got 
a wedding coming up like a year later. And so I'm still, so we weren't living together at the time. And so like, I'm just like, all right, well, I ain't got nothing to do but grind on this. And maybe, you know, on a Saturday, I find some time for her. But that's why when I got to November, it'd been three months and nothing had come in. It's like, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. Like I wasn't even really able to get my head above water and try to figure out what was going on in my life until like April of the next year. And I was like, okay, I can take a little bit of a breather. Something's okay. Um, and we had some conversations about it, but I don't think she understood exactly what was happening. She said she did. She said she was down. She's like, whatever you got to do, I'm here for. But like the amount of time I was putting into it was just like astronomical. Um, and then it was what became harder was once we got married, I got used to that waking up, working all day and going to sleep. Mm-hmm. Well, I got a, I got it's a, a little bit different, home. right? Mm-hmm. We got a son, you know, like I can't just, I can't just like lock myself in the basement and, and zoom out. <laughs> well, what? Well, so you, you could, and I'm pretty sure a lot of these cats do, but I'm assuming that's not the type of person you wanted to be. Am I correct in that? Oh no. Like that's like the thing I struggle with the most is trying to find time for my family. And when I say right. time for family, I'd be talking about, you know, we do family dinners. I take my son to and from school. You know, we watch a movie together as a family. As you know, as I kept saying family, I ain't say nothing about my wife yet. So like, trying to figure out where she fits in that time slot too, but also knowing like I got more work to do than hours in the day. Mm-hmm. Like that becomes hard. That's like the hardest part about what I do. Now I'm saying, don't cry for me. You know, the the, the venture capitalist. Granted, I ain't rich like the other ones. Like I, I, I'm what you call a broke capitalist. I'm working on it. Right? <laughs> like, like, like God is still working on me. I'm gonna get there. Thank you, Lord. But you know, that is the one thing I struggle with the most. And like, I, I work on me and my wife work on. We try to do that because that's tough. So yeah, there were conversations, but you know, once I got into it, got into it, it got really great. <laughs> so Matt, we want to be as respectful of your time as we possibly can. I know we've uh, gone, you know, a little bit over. So I want to give you the opportunity to just tell folks, you know, you know, our listeners and, uh, you know, there, there's a there's a lot of uh, you got a lot of black folks listening to you right now. A lot of, you know, a lot of everybody is listening. We, we have a, a really diverse, uh, you know, group of folks who are listening to the tech John. But this is your opportunity to to be in front of a lot of them that might kind of resonate with what you were doing. So why don't you just tell us, you know, you know, why you started Rare Breed, what you're doing with it and how you can help the community. I mean, I started Rare Breed because I wanted to help Shauna and founders like her. I wanted to prove that I could be a good investor and build the next great firm and do it from Baltimore. It's my hometown. Right. If you if, if you believe that there are unique opportunities, look, 75 percent of all VC funding goes to three states, California, Massachusetts and New York. And 75 percent of that goes to California. Right. right. So if you believe that there are great companies outside of those three states, then, then you can rock with them. Right. That's okay. what I'm here for. Right. Like I've look, I got two amazing young black women out of St. Louis who got a company called Rebundle. They make plant-based, biodegradable, synthetic braiding hair. 
bundles made out of banana leaf fibers, y'all. I've heard of that yeah, company. We've heard about it. I've, yeah. You, you, heard, you yes, mentioned this, Stephanie, on the show a I few episodes back. Yeah. yeah, like a while ago. That's right. that's one of your that's I'm in your very first investor. Wow. Look right. at that. Look like, at the look at the full circle moment right now. Such a small world. I love it. And like I do a bunch of like other stuff too. Like I invest in everybody. I don't just invest in black and brown founders. I invest in all founders because I like money. Like I'm still a capitalist at the end of the day. But there's a lot of black and brown folks who know how to make money and I'm gonna make money with them, right? So if you you down for that, you can get down with what we're doing at Rare Breed. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Mac Conwell. Uh, if you go to rarebreed.vc, that's our website. But Rob, we can't get out here without you actually asking the question that you told me you wanted to ask. Yeah, so you know what? This, we, we go, here's what we're going to do. So we got this little after party after. So we're going to go ahead and close the show out because uh, this is a different type of conversation and we're going to save it for uh, the after party. So we're going to talk about it in just a few seconds. So folks was wondering, well, what's the after party? Well, you know what? If you actually become a patron of the Tech John by heading over to patreon.com forward slash the Tech John, we've got multiple tiers over there, any one of which gets you access to our live stream and our after party where you will get to hear Mac talk about this incredible story that he's going to tell. So once again, that is uh, patreon.com forward slash the Tech John. And uh, once again, any one of the tiers over there uh, will get you access to our live streaming after party. And uh, you can hear some of the stories that you're going to hear in just a minute. So with that, uh, you know, Mac, you just told everybody how they can get at you. Stephanie, why don't you go ahead and tell the folks how they can get at you? You can hit me all around the web at Tech Life Steph. And you can find me all over the Internet at Brother Tech. That's B-R-O-T-H-A-T-E-C-H. And I am at Rob Dunwood on all the things. And we are also at the Tech John on all the things. So come and hang out with us there. Till we meet again in a week's time. Peace. Peace. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.